0: If you had a chance, who would you spend a day with? Uh, would you would it be someone famous from the past? Maybe a, a family member who's already with the Lord? Would it be somebody in popular culture or a political figure? Maybe a world-renowned athlete. This is not just a meaningless question. Psychologists use this question to probe into the conscious of their patients. It's also pretty common. Essay question students have to answer when applying to go to university. Revealing who you would like to spend time with indicates something about you. So, who would you pick? A poll on goodreads.com. This is very scientific. Ask the question, quote, who would you choose to have dinner with, and quote. Of course, they ended with a preposition. We won't get into their grammar, will we? But anyway. And 47 people responded. Now you know it's scientific. 47 people responded. Actor Hugh Jackman won. Uh, Probably by virtue of his parents. Logging in, voting, logging off. Logging in, voting, logging off. He won with 20 votes. Not even uh, plurality. Then Hillary Clinton came in last with four votes. I don't know why people like Hugh Jackman and not Hillary Clinton. Spooky novel writer uh, Stephen King was second with 14 votes. I guess that's not much help, is it? One interesting poll I read, and I read a number of these polls, is uh, the majority answer was Jesus Christ. And I was kind of taken back by that. There are a lot of people wanting to spend uh, dinner with Jesus, but as I read the reasons they gave, and this poll asked them to give reasons, I found out that most of them were not actually Christians. They they wanted to know things like, okay, is is what the Bible says about you really true, or did you really rise from the dead, or um, were you, are you really like the people who claim to be Christians say you're like, uh, and what do you think about them? Things like that, and and I was thinking to myself. These are not really religious people, right or or not. They kind of stumbled on the right answer. What would a day with Jesus be like? What would it be like? Get up in the morning, strap on your sandals, throw on your robe. Men or women, you wear a robe, right? Throw on your robe and head out into that Middle Eastern sun and just spend a day with Jesus the Messiah. What would that be like? What would it be like for that to happen to you? Now, in our text, Mark transitions from the calling of the disciples to a typical day spent with Jesus. I actually think it's kind of an interesting way to begin your story. You see in verse 21, they enter into a synagogue, presumably in the morning. That would typically be somewhere between 8 and 9 a.m. Then in verse 29, this is probably after synagogue, so maybe midday, lunchtime to midday, They go to Simon Peter's home. Then in verse 32, Mark indicates now that it's twilight. The sun is set. It's evening. A whole day has gone by. And now they're at the home and Jesus is besieged by the sick and the demon possessed. A full day with Jesus. And these men, these 12, or at least the four, Mark doesn't mention the other eight, but at least the four got to spend a day with Jesus. Now, it's a Sabbath day, so maybe it's a little different from a normal day. Maybe Jesus isn't going to go into the synagogue on other days, maybe just the Sabbath. But if you were going to spend a day with Jesus, at least a Sabbath day with Jesus, it would probably look a lot like this day. So if you spent a day with Jesus, number one, you might hear him preach an astonishing sermon. You would likely... End up in a church service. It says in verse 21 they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into a synagogue and taught. Now, Capernaum is the early ministry home of Jesus. You probably were unaware of that. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, was reared in Nazareth with his mom and dad, and then in his early life, his young adulthood, he moves to Capernaum. Mark 2 actually calls it jesus's home do you see that he entered into capernaum after some days and it was noise that he was in the house that he was home is what he's saying it was jesus's early home this is one of the reasons why in john 6 when the people went searching for jesus they went to capernaum uh after he fed the five thousand. jesus gets you remember he goes and walks across the water Disciples get in a boat. All of this is happening and they're going, people are looking for Jesus. They go to Capernaum. Well, that's where he lived. That was his home. We learn from the gospel record that Jesus did many of his healings there. The centurion's house, or the centurion's servant, rather, was healed there. His house wasn't healed. His son was healed. His servant was healed. An official from Capernaum had a son who was healed at a distance. Jesus was in Cana of Galilee. And this man came and he said, "Uh, my son is sick and And Jesus said, uh, "Okay, we can go be with your son and and I'll heal him. And he said, you don't even have to come. Just, you know, I'm a man has have ones under authority. You can just say the word. And Jesus is amazed at his faith and heals his son. It's called the miracle from a distance. It's actually where he healed the lame man. It's actually in his house uh, where he heals the lame man. Uh, He uh, lives with Peter. They have to open the roof. Remember, they lower the man down. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And uh, and then they're all wondering who can forgive sins. And he says, okay, just so you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, rise and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. It's at Capernaum. So this is kind of where he lives. It's his ministry home. And his practice was to teach in the synagogue there. He's not the pastor of the synagogue. He's not the pastor of their church, as it were. But but it states plainly in verse 21 that this was kind of his practice. He would go into the synagogue, and they would say to. Kind of their practice. Does anybody have a, a word to speak? And Jesus would get up and teach. Now, the synagogue is the de facto church of the Jews outside of their temple. So the temple's in Jerusalem, but in their various cities and their villages, they would have a synagogue. The word synagogue actually means the place where you gather together. The, the, pre- the preposition, the prefix sin, soon, means together or with. And uh, uh, gogay has the idea of gathering. It's to gather together. Um, We are in synagogue right now. Maybe you didn't realize that, but it's the place where we have gathered together. This is kind of our synagogue. And Jesus would get up and teach. This is the method Paul used, actually. When He would go into villages and towns. He would go to the Jewish synagogue and he would teach. So we have here Jesus's normal activity. He goes to the place where people are gathered together to hear religious instruction and, and this is what he does. He teaches. And if you were listening to him, you might ask yourself, who preaches like this? You see in verse 22, they were astonished at his doctrine. Wow, this is a lot different. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. To hear Jesus preach. Is to hear the Word of God expounded. Now I'm just going to stop and say, that's my goal. I spend my life trying to better expound the Word of God to you. I, I'm not here to amuse you or entertain you. I'm not here to tell you jokes. I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm not here to manipulate you into some sort of half baked decision for the Lord. My job is to expound the Word of God. I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit as He works in your heart as I preach. And really, this is how Jesus taught. Of course, He did it much better than I could because He's the author of the book. But He's expounding the Word of God. And it says His preaching was powerful. In Luke 4.32, it says His Word was with power. There is something authoritative about what he's saying and it caused the people to be astonished. It struck them as radically different from what they normally heard at synagogue. His doctrine was different. It's not just his method, folks. It was his message. He's preaching, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Mark adds that Jesus taught differently from the scribes. You know, they would get up and they would cite all the different Jewish interpretations. They would wow people with their knowledge, how much education they had. Instead of expounding the words of God in the Old Testament, they would get up and expound the words of some dead rabbi, some former writer of the law, somebody who was deemed to be really smart and really well-educated in their schools. It was what people thought about the Old Testament, not the Old Testament. But Jesus taught with authority. His teaching was characterized as having the power that comes as if one is in charge. And of course, it's because he is the living word of God. And if you spent a day with Jesus, you would likely hear him preach an astonishing sermon. Can I ask you, would you listen to what he said? Do you remember how Jesus often ended his sermons? Anyone who has an ear to hear, let him hear. It doesn't mean simply the process of taking in the vibrations, the encoding that goes from one person's mouth and the vibrations that go through the air and the decoding that goes along in the ear, the ear canal and the cochlea and all the other parts of the ear, the drum and all of that. It's not that at all. It's actually, will you take in what he's saying And will you believe and accept it? And will you live that out? Would you listen to what he said? Would you obey him? Now, before you answer, because I hope all of us are saying, well, of course, of course I would. It's it's like you're in school and the teacher asks the obvious question and all the hands go up. I mean, I think that's kind of where we're at. If, If somebody says, would you obey Jesus? Would you listen to him when he preaches? I think all of us would say yes. And maybe you say, well, you've never heard Jesus preached, but you've heard his word preached. You've read his word. Did you obey the word you heard preached? You say, well, it wasn't Jesus preaching, was it? But it was his word being preached. And if it was close, if we're talking about something close to the words that Jesus would preach, Don't you have some obligation to obey it? Now, I ask that question because you're going to find, as you read the gospel stories, you're going to find Jesus later in his life pronouncing a curse on Capernaum. And that curse comes right back to this. He he writes, one of the gospel writers, I believe it's Luke, says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works done have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. You're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. We use the expression, it's from Scripture, to whom much is given, much is required. My friends, how much has been given to us? How much is required of us? You get in the car in the morning, flip on BBN, listen to somebody preaching. Later, you open up you version. You read a little bit of the Bible. That night, maybe you get open a devotional book with your family, read a, or read a Bible story to your kids. Sunday, you come, you listen to a teacher talk about various issues from Scripture. Later, you hear a sermon. Maybe you come back Sunday nights you hear a sermon again. Does it really affect you? See, this makes me wonder about Christians today who hear good preaching. But don't respond to it. Because that's exactly what happened in Capernaum. Now, again, I give you, they heard the best preaching that anyone could preach. But Jesus, if if you remember, he talks about the Old Testament prophets. He talks about, and they were imperfect. Some of them weren't even that good of a speaker. And he talks about how those people were held accountable for what they heard. Can I just say something, friends? You are accountable to God for what you are hearing. Are you listening? I had a fun little exchange with a, a teenager in our church. Oh, this was a long time ago. And I said to her something like, you should, you, you should do this. And she said, oh, I can't. I said, oh, you can. You can do that. No, I can't. I said, no, you, don't, you mean will and won't, not can and can't. No, I can't. We went back and forth and back and forth. and It was fun and kind of a little, I was just kind of prodding and poking her a little bit. But I can't tell you how many times I have seen believers from the pulpit close off. I have seen people just say, that's a step too far. I'm not willing to go that far. And that's really what kind of what Capernaum was doing with Jesus' wow. preaching. And, and it's gotten kind of quiet in here, so I think we all know where we're at, right? Let me, let me give you a little confession, all right? This is pastoral confession time, okay? So I saw a confessional in a, in a cathedral, uh, at a, in a Catholic cathedral, and I thought we should slip one of those in the hallway one time to see what happens, you know? I went through a sh- short period of time in my life where I actually couldn't read the book of Proverbs because it just bothered me so much. Because every time I read it, I just I just got angry in my heart. And the reason I got angry in my heart is because there were things in it I just didn't want to hear. So if you think it's just you, I'm telling you, it's not just you. We're all obligated to respond to what we know about God. You have that obligation, as do I. So if you spend a day with Jesus, you would hear him preach an astonishing sermon. Well, you also, number two, you might witness him demonstrate his amazing spiritual power. You, You would likely see the demonic powers oppose him. Look at verse 23 there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? It's interesting to me how this demon is talking to Jesus. Are you come to destroy us? I know you, holy one of God. Now, the synagogue was not a holy place as the Jews believed it to be. There's demons there. You remember how ceremonial cleanness is so important to the Jews? I mean, if you remember how the temple was, they had a place where the, the Gentiles, court of Gentiles, and then the women could go so far, and then the men. And then, of, of course, the unclean people, they had to be outside the temple grounds. In fact, you remember the, the lame man in, John, or in Acts chapter 3, he's just outside the gate of one of the temple gates begging because he couldn't be inside the gate, right? Because he's unclean. Because he was lame. That was kind of, even though that's not what the word of God taught. That was how the Jewish uh, scribes taught. And so he had to sit there. and, And here we have this man. And he's in their synagogue, kind of their mini temple, as it were. And he has an unclean spirit. He's demon possessed, which really is an incredible thing. Because I think the Jews would have considered any demon possessed man to be somewhat unclean. Maybe not even ceremonially unclean. He's unclean. But here he is in the middle of all them. Now they're all unclean. And the demon opposes Jesus by identifying him. And the identification is true. And you sit there and wonder what's going on here. There's something called the messianic secret. And I'm not going to get deep into the messianic secret. But basically what it looks kind of like this. I just want you to understand what it is. Is that Jesus didn't want to publish who he was until a particular time in his life. He knew he was who he was. But he didn't want to publish that abroad. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's great for a Sunday school class. It doesn't really matter right now. That's what's going on here. And he also doesn't want to be identified by a demon because Jesus stands to be discredited. So when the demon says, what do we have to do with you? What's really going on here is he's, he's saying, we of Capernaum, Capernaum, we have nothing in common with you. It really tells you more about the people of Capernaum, doesn't it? Than it tells about Jesus and his disciples. And this is why Jesus says to him, be quiet. Now, here you are. Jesus is preaching. This man jumps up and begins yelling at Jesus. He's a demon-possessed man. And Jesus responds to him by casting out the demon. And you might ask, who has authority? Like this. Look at verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, hold your peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, the unclean spirit cried with a loud voice, he, the spirit came out of him, the man, and they were all amazed. It's so much as they questioned among themselves, saying, what in the world did we just see? That's unbelievable. This is amazing. This is incredible. And his fame spread throughout the region of Galilee. Well, the exorcism is straightforward. Jesus says, stop talking and get out of the man. And the demon leaves, but he causes the man pain. The man cries out as the demon leaves. There is something to be said for that. And this causes a second astonishing act because the people were already astonished at his preaching. Now they're astonished at his power. I didn't really mean for this to alliterate, but it really kind of does. You see, Jesus is preaching at the beginning. Now you're seeing his power, his spiritual power, as he is actually showing he his authority over the spiritual realm. And the people say, what is this? This is amazing that he can do this. And then I stop and think, if Jesus can cast out a demon, if he had power on earth to cast out a demon, what can he do in your life? What can he do in my life? That isn't to his glory and my good. I wonder if, as a believer, what kind of Christians we are when we question God's power over his creation or over the spiritual world. Why should it astonish us when we share the gospel with somebody that that person says, you know what, I I believe that. I want to become a Christian. Why should that astonish us and amaze us? Or why should it seem strange to us when we actually go to the Lord in prayer and there's an answer to prayer? Why does that astonish us? Why does that amaze us? Here we have the disciples. You can imagine. I mean, they're, they're, they're coming down from whatever emotional high from hearing Jesus preach so different from these other preachers that they've heard. They love to hear Jesus preach. And he finishes his sermon, and this demon-possessed man cries out, and Jesus, in just a moment, says, Stop, be quiet, get out of him, and the demon leaves. And everybody's amazed. What do you think they're thinking about Jesus now? What does it cause you to think about Jesus now? Because for me, all of a sudden, I realize, I remind myself that God really does have power over life. Now, I don't think I'm ever going to come to Jesus demon-possessed. I'm not saying that. If you're a believer, you can't be demon-possessed. Okay? Be encouraged by that. But I bring to God my problems, don't I? I stand before his words. I'm reading his words. And I have problems in my life. And I want his words to change my life. Maybe you have a habit, a problem, a sin problem. And and you've been wanting to get rid of that for years. And you say, I've tried everything and it hasn't worked. Do you not believe that his words can change you? Can mold you and shape you from the inside out to be a different person? Do you not believe that? God has power over spiritual things. One who casts out a demon is the same one who sanctifies you. In your circumstances of life, doesn't God have power over those things? When when all the little things start going wrong, doesn't God have power over that? When you go into trials, isn't God still in control? Even when you're suffering and you're in pain, isn't God in control of that? Friends, don't you realize what's going on here? The power of God is on display on earth. And it's still here, not in the sense that Jesus is physically here, but he still answers prayer. And he still responds to people who come to him and say, I need your help, God. As a parent, I can't tell you how many times I would just be driving in the car saying, Lord, I need your mercy so much. I need mercy in abundance. I think of all of you young parents and all of you parents who are a lot older than I am. Your kids are older than mine. You didn't tell me this. Some of you tried to warn me. You didn't tell me. Children are sinners. Did you know that? And here's what I found out. All the little mistakes I made in parenting, and I'll, I'll say they're mine, not my wife's. They're my mistakes. She was a lot tougher than I was on the kids. She said I was squishy. I I said she was unyielding, so that was, you know. All the mistakes that I made with the children, they came back in spades. So did the wind reap the whirlwind. And I can't tell how many times I just cried out to the Lord, have mercy on my family. Now, why should that amaze you when he does? And if your children are little and you haven't cried that out yet, you will. That's all I'm saying to you. That's what I wasn't told, but I'm telling you, you will. You will say, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy on my kids. And then I realized that's probably what my parents were crying out when I was their age. You yeah. You see, the, the truth is, by intervening in this man's life, you know Jesus could have just stopped the man and just let him go his way, right? But by intervening in this man's life, now Jesus shows, and this kind of leads us to our third point, Jesus shows something about himself that now makes it better. Because you say, God's in control of my life, but I'm still in pain. God's in control of my life, but I'm still struggling with his temptation. And he's preaching these amazing sermons. I have his words. I'm supposed to change it. I'm having trouble. and I'm struggling. And the struggle's hard. It's a narrow road, right? I mean, that's what Jesus called it. Because if you spend a day with Jesus, you would not only hear him preach an astonishing sermon. <clears throat> excuse me. And, wit- and witness him demonstrate amazing spiritual power. But you would see his passion for the hurting. And again, I didn't mean to alliterate. It just kind of came out that way. You would see his passion for the hurting. You would likely see how he cares for his own. He goes into this house in verse 29 of where Peter and Andrew live. Peter's mother-in-law is there and she's got a fever. It's not to death. <clears throat> James and John are also there, the fishing buddies. And this gives you a little sense of the background of the disciples that this is called the domestic miracle. I, I like that term. And these people had families. And because we, we only kind of often skim the surface of Bible study, we don't really know the backgrounds of these people's lives. They lived like a lot of us actually live. I mean, they didn't have the modern technologies and the scientific method, but they were intelligent, bright, often educated people. And, and, they, and they lived like you would expect them to live. That's how you would have lived if you'd lived in that time. And, and here they are, mother-in-law's there. She's lying on the bed because she's sick of a fever. And they tell Jesus about it. I don't know that it's, hey, come heal her. You cast out the demon, maybe you can heal her. I don't think that's actually going on. I think it's just, hey, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. <clears throat> we know so little about Peter's wife. We learned later from church history that she was crucified beside Peter. Uh, she was obviously a godly woman. We know, we know very little about her. Don't know about his children. We know nothing about that. But all we know here is he's, he's got a mother-in-law. She's sick. And there's no indication it's life-threatening, but Jesus heals her anyway. He goes to where she's on the bed, and he leans down, and he touches her. And the moment he does, because he's God, the moment he does, the fever's gone. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, just like the blind and, and, the, and the, the deaf and the lame, Jesus can speak, Jesus can touch, because Jesus can heal, and he heals her. And I love it. it. What does the woman do? Immediately, she returns to humble service, domestic service. She just, I'm sure she's back in the kitchen. You know, fever's gone, feel a lot better. Uh, you know, it's like a kidney stone, it stopped moving. I feel good. She's back up there, and she's just in that kitchen, and she's working, getting the bread made, maybe cooking up a goat or something you'd have there, you know, with all the spices. And it'd be really good. And, and just preparing and serving Jesus and the others that are there. And you might ask, who loves like this? See, it, God is not just powerful, He's all powerful. And God is not just all wise, and He is wise, but God is love. He loves and He cares. And you'll see that beginning in verse 32, the sunset, and now the fame has spread. The fame of him has spread abroad, and sunset comes, and the whole city gathers at the door of the house. I mean, this is going to happen multiple occasions in this little home. So much so, as I said later, they're going to have to open up the, the roof and let the guy down in from the roof. I mean, this is a little house. And the whole city comes up. And it doesn't mean every single person in the city was there. It's just a little bit of hyperbole. It just means a whole lot of people came. And it was the people who were sick and the people who were demon-possessed. And not all demon-possession led to illness. And not all illness was the result of demon-possession, you understand. But both groups came. I find it interesting that a demon-possessed person actually wanted to come to Jesus. And I think that's still true today, by the way. I think the answer, of course, is the gospel of Jesus. We don't have to cast the demon out. We present the gospel of Jesus to a, a person who's demon-possessed. They can trust in Christ, and the demon will leave. That's still true today. But you hear you have the demon-possessed people, and they're coming to Jesus to have the demon cast out? Uh, it, it happened. Now you remember the little the guy who said, my son is a lunatic. He Every time the moon, at a certain phase, he gets thrown into the fire or thrown into the water. The little boy has this demon and Jesus cast out the demon. These kinds of things would happen. And so Jesus is casting out demons, but it wasn't just demons. It was sick people too. You, you get the, you, It's the walking wounded. It's an infirmary outside the house. Uh, Osha uh, here would have a real big problem with this, right? But Jesus would say, don't worry about it. They'll all be healed by the end of the evening. He just starts healing people. You were lame. You were blind. You were deaf. You couldn't speak. You had a problem with your back. And he's not taking off his jacket and waving it at the person. And the person's not being slain in the spirit like you see in the radical Pentecostal movement. That's not going on here. Jesus can just simply be there, touch them, speak to them, and all is well. And my friends, it's still like that. Jesus still heals. I'm not talking about this miraculous healing like you'll see on TV which, by the way, is just fake, 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 fake. I'm not talking about that. It's been proven to be fake. I'm talking about you bring your burdens to the Lord. You bring them to Christ, to God. You say, Lord, I I have this problem. If it be your will, would you heal me? God heals people. I think we give medicine too much credit sometimes. You'll find doctors who will say, there's no reason why you should still be living. There's no reason why... You should be able to walk. Well, I know the answer. I prayed. asked the Lord to help me. Friends, prayers first. Medicine second. We ask the Lord to give wisdom to the doctors. Why do we do that? Because we know that's where the answer lies. It's in God's wisdom. It's in God's leading. And this, it's because he cares for people. You know what Jesus could have said? I've had a long day. You know, my office hours start tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Come back then. Could have done that. Right. He could have pushed them away, sent them away, said, I, I just don't have time for this. This is too much on my plate. I've, I've already got You know, I was preaching this morning. That takes a lot of energy. And then in the afternoon, I had to go heal this sick woman. And that was tough. And now here I am in the evening and the whole city shows up and they all want me to heal them. It's just too much. You know what? Go back. Come back tomorrow. We'll we'll set up uh, appointments. I have a secretary. You know, we'll figure out your insurance. We'll just set it up that way. Okay. He could have done that. But Jesus came for people. He just loved people. It really is a rebuke to me because sometimes I just feel, especially when I'm tired, like I just don't have time anymore. You know, I'm just exhausted, I'm worn out, maybe later. Maybe later. I hope I've never done that to you. I know I probably have, but there are times where I just don't want to take a phone call anymore. It's just the end of the day. It's been a long day, and the phone rings. You know, I had I had a long time ago. I had a lady call me first thing in the morning. It's like six thirty in the morning, Pastor. I'm sorry to call you so early. I know this never happens, and 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 then about twelve thirty at night that that next night just. You know, how many hours later somebody called, I know this never happens. I hope this never happens. I needed to talk to you. And I went, well, yeah, it would have been fine, except, you know, (laughs) both ends here. It's just so easy to feel like I've given all I can give. But Jesus just didn't have that, that line of thinking. He didn't have that bone in his body. No, he just cared for people. He just loved them. And so he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. And I guess the question is for you, <clears throat> is do you care about people? It's interesting to me, by the way. I mean, how would you think of a demon-possessed man? <clears throat> how did he become demon-possessed? What was he doing that got result, the result was a demon inside of him? What, what would he have to be doing? Does that kind of person even deserve my care? Well, there are a lot of people in this world who we might think are kind of beneath us. They don't deserve our care. You know, go get a job. Go better yourself. You know, that's what people do in this country. It's easy to think that way. But Jesus didn't think that way. He worked and served even when he was tired. He was a helping to others and a blessing to others. And I guess the question is, are you a blessing to other people? Do you show love to other people? Would the other people in your life say, you know what? She's always a prickly pair. He's always, he's always, you know, just on the edge of losing his temper. Or when people say, man, when that guy talks, it's just a blessing. When she, when she's over and she leaves the house, I just think she could have stayed another couple of hours. It was just such a blessing to be around her. Is that how you are? And what about people who don't deserve it? You know, he's rude. Well, fine. Going to be rude. You can do it yourself. You don't need my help. That's the way you're going to be on the phone. Or she is so obnoxious. Come on. I don't like to be around people like that. Or he sinned and those are the consequences. So live with it, buddy. Deal with it. She deserves exactly what she gets. How often do we think of people like that? Friends, that's not the heart of Jesus. Here we have a beautiful story of a day in the life of our Lord starts off in preaching uh, an astonishing or uh, uh, an astonishing sermon and then he demonstrates his amazing power and finally he shows his passion his love for people who are hurting and i and i think about when i get to the end of that story that's the jesus i want to follow that's my jesus the whole first half of mark is asking the question who is jesus And now, after spending a day with him, you kind of know, don't you? And I guess it makes me think, if that's who Jesus is, and I'm supposed to become like him, that's who I should be too. I should be a person who can share the word of God with others. I should be a person who can demonstrate some measure of spiritual power, not in the casting out demons, but certainly turning people to God's word. And I should be a person who loves people loves them so much that even when I'm tired and they don't deserve it, I'm there to help. May God grant that we would be that kind of disciple. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. It is just a beautiful,